and you're off the hook. I'm not going to be preaching today. I'm going to introduce our, our speaker for today. Um, honestly, I am sure if, if Scott Dunphy were here, he would do this introduction. He sent me this. He uh, uh, got to know Craig as uh, uh, Craig spent about six to nine months at uh, Scott's Daughter's Church. And this is kind of the ministry that Craig has taken on. So uh, Scott sent me this. He was raised and baptized in the Church of Christ, senior pastor for decades, retired, but called to serve in a helping role to churches. And that's great. I, the snoop that I am, I went online, and uh, Craig, after he retired in his 60s, walked the entire Appalachian Trail, uh, something I, I think I would like to do, and yet I'm probably too old and, and fat to do it. But um, I would love to do that. That's a great thing. He's also a Hoosier, for those of you from Hoosier land out there. And it doesn't work against him. Stop it. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was his name as he walked the Appalachian Trail. And he became a, uh, a chaplain for the Appalachian Trail, which I'm very, uh, very curious about. So uh, please welcome Craig Clapper. Thank you, Jack. Okay. Well, I'm uh, grateful to be here and uh, just to share a little bit uh, more about what Jack had shared there. I was raised Church of Christ. It's amazing at this uh, chapter of life I'm back. I had served for 26.2 years in one church uh, down uh, south of South Bend, and it was an evangelical free church. Now, that's a strange one. I always right away tell people uh, our claim to fame is Chuck Swindoll's Evangelical Free. That way they know that we're, we're legitimate, you know, we're not some cult. And um, however, some people have thought that meant we're free of evangelicals. We don't want any of them, those around, and that's not really what it means. And it is true that uh, toward the end of my career there, uh, for years, I had hiked the Appalachian Trail in pieces. And I found out that there's an organization, a mission organization called Appalachian Trail Servants, and they put a chaplain on the trail each year, incognito. You're a minister, you hike it, no one knows that you are, and your job description is to be Jesus on the trail. And that trail is 2,186 miles long, goes from Georgia to Maine. I applied for that job, and I got it. And I'll never forget, I told a friend, I said, I got that job, I'll be a... Uh, quitting here and going out. And he said, well, I don't suppose there was much uh, competition for that job. And I don't know if there was or not, but uh, it was an amazing experience. And uh, no one knows your name. My name is Hoosier on the, the trail. And everyone has what's called a trail name. And that uh, helps serve for people to open up about their lives. One of the most amazing things about being out there is how long you can spend in a conversation you kind of start hiking with different individuals, and maybe you're at the same pace and you, you do well together. But uh, part of what I would do would be a person would be in front of me or behind me, and I'd say, uh, like, for instance, one gentleman that's a friend named Samson, big guy. I said, Samson, I said, tell me your story, your life. And to walk all day long and just have him talk and you ask questions... And then around a campfire that evening, you maybe finish off his story, and that would happen. Seldom do we have that opportunity. Jesus had that all the time. 
One of the other things that, by God's grace, I've been doing uh, is leading hiking trips of Israel. Now, uh, I was there when COVID hit, and I got out on March 11th, and I often say, you know, it took a miracle to get them in. It took a miracle to get us out, and it just about did. But one of uh, the hikes uh, is up in the Galilee, and we're going to talk about Jesus taking that hike. It's about 25 miles, goes from the Sea of Galilee, clear up right at the edge of the Lebanese-Syrian border at a place called um, uh, Caesarea Philippi, right at the base of Mount Hermon, which is where the Mount of Transfiguration was at. And Jesus, after two and a half years of living with his disciples, took them on a trip up there. Now, this is a place you wouldn't have thought Jesus would have ever taken them. Uh, the very word Caesarea Philippi is very politically charged, right? Uh, Philip the Tetrarch dedicated this uh, ancient uh, cultic place to Caesar. And there was a place to worship Caesar up there. There was a place to worship whatever god you really want. And it was very, very heathen. You could say this. You could throw Las Vegas and... Uh, Uh, the Mardi Gras down in New Orleans and San Francisco in there together and then make it political, throw D.C. in there, and that's where Jesus took them. Now, no decent uh, rabbi would ever take his guys up there, but they took this walk. By the way, if you think it's impressive to hike Israel, do you know that you can put five nations of Israel in Michigan, the lower peninsula, put another uh, two in the upper peninsula, and three inside of Lake Michigan. So it's not real impressive to say, I hiked Israel. (laughs) It's a very, very small place. But we're going to take a hike with Jesus here today, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 33. And um, in the days ahead, when I was asked to do this by Scott, I said, well, Scott, I can come today, the 14th, 21st, I already have another obligation. And then uh, I'll walk you through a, a series, and we're going to walk through an Easter series and see where it goes from there. But um, we pick up here, and uh, if we would go to the next slide, please. This is a, an artist's description of where Jesus took them. You see a a big uh, rock formation, the base of uh, uh, Mount Hermon, which this is a whole other lesson, but when Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, he's talking about this, this rock that's dedicated to all these heathen gods and goddesses. And then just to the left there, you see it's fallen in, in now, you'll see it later, that was called the gates of hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But you see that you had just various gods and goddesses, a beautiful place. But if we go to where, what it looks like today, if you were to go there at the next slide, uh, there's the gates of hell. And then uh, these niches where uh, it was at one time uh, dedicated to Pan, the fertility, uh, half man, half goat. And you cannot believe the horrible things that happened at this site. Next uh, would be some of the niches to the various gods and goddesses. It, it was a smorgasbord of whatever god or goddess that you wanted to worship. And then it was all dedicated to none other than, none other than Caesar. And uh, Jesus took them there to teach them a lesson. Now, 
we're going to walk through the text. If we go to the next uh, slide here, um, well, there's more of that. Let's go to the text, the next slide. Here we go. Verse 27, and uh, I invite you to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Imagine this. Jesus is taking this 25-mile walk with his disciples. And on the way, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And it says, and on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? You see, I think if we're not careful, we think that this conversation took place in about five minutes. No, it would have taken them a couple days to walk up there. And I think much like uh, the conversations I had on the Appalachian Trail, Jesus said in the morning, who who do people say I am? And then uh, they would discuss it. And one of the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And I don't think we should hurry on. I think Jesus said, well, why would they think I'm John the Baptist when John the Baptist was beheaded? And they'd say, well, Herod's afraid that you're him come back from the dead, is what one other passage says. So they, they discussed that for a while, and Jesus could go and look at some passages and say, no, John the Baptist was the forerunner. He, 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 uh, he's not the one who was going to come. He was declaring who was going to come. And then, uh, well, some say Elijah, maybe one of the other uh, disciples said. And they knew their Old Testament. They knew that the Old Testament ends with saying that Elijah shall come. But then again, they also knew that Jesus said when, when, or actually a little bit later, he says, now when Elijah came, you need to understand that John the Baptist was Elijah in spirit. But Elijah was that great prophet that took on the, uh, the prophets of Baal, powerful. Some say you're, you're like that, Jesus. You know, that says something about Jesus so far. We think of meek and mild Jesus. John the Baptist was anything but meek and mild. Jesus said, when you went out there to see him in the desert, what did you expect? A, a man clothed in fine linen? No, you went out there to see a prophet, and you found a prophet, all right, uh, There's never been one like him um, that was so powerful. Um, And then some others said, well, some some people are saying you're one of the uh, prophets. Over Matthew, it says Jeremiah the prophet. There was those, there were rabbinical thoughts that uh, Jeremiah would come back. And maybe it's because Jeremiah was the weeping prophet and cared so much for the nation. But there were all these ideas about who was Jesus. And I think maybe for uh, close to a couple days, they talked about that. And uh, Jesus kind of leading them on. And then it says that uh, he's going to have Peter give him some direct things, and Peter's going to get it right. He gets an A, gets an F a little bit later, but he gets an A right now. But let me ask you this. This uh, Easter season, if you, if you went out on the street and you asked the average person on the street, who do people say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Which, by the way, I think is the most important question we'll ever face. Who is this Jesus anyway to us? You know, I was uh, uh, 
really influenced. Uh, I, w I was raised Church of Christ, baptized Church of Christ. Unfortunately, I, uh, I, I don't know. It just didn't, didn't seem to stick with me personally. But uh, Uncle Sam had plans for me right out of high school. I ended up in the Marine Corps. And uh, uh, when I was in the Marine Corps at that time, there was what was called the Jesus Movement. And there was this song came out by Larry Norman called uh, The Outlaw. And it really fits in here. Some say he was an outlaw. He roamed across the land. He had a band of unschooled ruffians and a few old fishermen. Nobody knew just where he came from or exactly what he had done, but they said it must have been something bad because it kept him on the run. Some say he was a poet, that he'd stand upon a hill. His voice could calm an angry crowd, make the waves stand still. That he spoke in many parables that few could understand, but still the people would sit for hours just to listen to this man. Some say he was a sorcerer, a man of mystery. He could walk upon the water. He could make a blind man see. That he conjured up wine at weddings, did tricks with fish and bread. Uh, that he spoke of being born again and raised people from the dead. Some say a politician who spoke of being free. He was followed by the masses on the shores of Galilee. He spoke out against corruption. He bowed no decree. They feared his strength and his power, so they nailed him to a tree. Which of those do you think most people would say today about Jesus? Or have any of them been right thus far? Let's go on. Uh, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Can you imagine that finally after all this discussion? Maybe they get right up there to Caesarea Philippine. They're looking at all this. And Jesus said, but what about you? That's what's most important. What about you? Who do you say I am? You know, one of the most profound experiences I ever had in Israel, there was this little Palestinian Christian girl working at a place in Nazareth called Nazareth Village. And um, Palestinian Christians have it really rough um, because they've left the Muslim faith and they live in the capital of Muslim faith in, uh, in Israel is Nazareth today. And uh, so she lived there and worked in this Nazareth Village, this Christian where you go and, and it's... Uh, like a uh, reproduction of ancient Nazareth. And she was just this little, looked like a gymnast girl in her early 20s. And uh, so she also, the Jewish people, would not, look down, would not uh, respect them. They have it really rough. And she gave this uh, tour, and then we went into an ancient synagogue, like where Jesus would have been, spoke at and took it, taken out on the brow of the hill to be thrown off. And she was real passionate about presenting the gospel at the end. I went up to her afterwards and I said, listen, you give this to her all the time. You're, you're, you really believe what you said there at the end, don't you? She said, I do with all my heart. I said, you're Palestinian Christian. She said, yeah. I said, uh, I hear you have it really rough 
over here. And this would have been worth the entire trip. This little girl looked at me and she said, everybody over here fights about land. She said, I'll tell you the land God wants. And then she did this. She goes, God wants this land right here. God wants this land right here. I don't know what you're fighting about. A lot of fighting over politics today. But I tell you, the land God wants, he's after your heart. He's after you. And all else can be a big distraction. What about you? Who do you say I am? Biggest question in the world. Peter answered. You know, Peter takes a hard hit, and maybe there's some truth to this, that he was kind of, uh, you know, had foot and mouth disease, talked too fast. But you need to understand that he was the oldest disciple we know of the group, and it was his job to speak first on behalf of all 12. So they would have all just hesitated, typically, to see what Peter would say. But Peter speaks up, and he says, um, you're the Christ. Now, we know in the Gospel of Matthew, it goes on elaborates upon that, but for right now, he gets an A+. You are the Christ. You're the anointed one of God. You're the long-awaited Messiah. And he had that right. But there was a problem. That word Christ was so politically charged in that day that they were looking for the Christ to be like a warrior like David alone, not divine, but a, a, a warrior that would come and overthrow Rome and set them free from Rome. They were looking for a king. And Jesus always shied away from that. And Jesus used a different term for himself. He didn't tell Peter he was wrong. By the way, they all were told that they had to say that Caesar was the Christ, the Messiah. And they'd say, no, Christ is, and it would be costly. The next verse says, and Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. That doesn't sound very evangelistic, does it? Why? Because they would have been misrepresenting him. He needed to teach them about this, the, the, the role of, the immediate role of the Christ was not to put on a crown like a king, but a crown of thorns. And then look at what happens next. It says, he then began to teach them. And again, we think of uh, like a half hour lesson. No. He said, there's some things I need to explain to you. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man. Do you know that that term is used 81 times in the, in the Gospels for Jesus? It was Jesus' favorite term for himself. It's what he called himself, the Son of Man. Now, what was he speaking about when he spoke about being the Son of Man? Well, I tell you, that whole nation of Israel knew this passage taken from the gospel, or not the gospel, from the, the book of Daniel, where it speaks about a, a figure that would come. Listen to this out of Daniel chapter 7. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days, God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom 
And all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Wow, you want the Son of Man to be in charge, don't you? It had that divine connotation, but also it was a statement that he's human. The Son of Man. He then began to teach them that the Christ is also the Son of Man who fulfills this. And that he must suffer many things. You know that, that the Christ doesn't suffer. <laughs> the Son of Man doesn't suffer. Suffer many things. And yet this Jesus, the Son of Man, think of your whole life thinking through that because I was born in Bethlehem, all those other kids were killed. And just the suffering, it says that he poured out his life unto death. That wasn't just on the cross. He was despised and rejected by men. They hid their faces from him throughout his lifetime, not just his time on the cross. From his birth to his death, from Christmas to the cross, Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was acquainted with sufferings. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of of the law, and that he must be killed away with such a thought. And after three days, rise again. This, this, was, this was anathema to them uh, that the Messiah would suffer. And it says, and he spoke plainly about this. Uh, He said, let me explain this to you as clearly as I can so that you get it. But it was so foreign, it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You know what's interesting is Mark, where we're reading here, Mark was not one of the disciples. He was actually a disciple of Peter's. And scholars would tell us that when we read Mark, we're actually reading Peter's account. And one of the interesting things is is in, in Mark, it's where Peter, when Peter messes up, it really tells you how bad he was. He, uh, he paints himself warts and all. And Peter actually had to tell Mark this. I took Jesus aside, put my arm around him, we'll say, and rebuked him. And it's a very strong word. It's the word that Jesus used of driving out demons, rebuking the demons. I mean, Peter got in Jesus' face and said, away with such a thought. That'll never happen to you. Over my dead body. (laughs) Very strong with him. And yet he really didn't get it. In chapter 9, chapter 10, Jesus still has to keep going back and explaining it and explaining it wasn't, I think, until the resurrection, until they finally all got it. It says, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. Let's stop there for a moment. Peter takes him aside. He's saying this, rebuking him. And I'm certain all the disciples are nodding their heads in agreement. Jesus says, when Jesus looked over there and saw that the disciples were being led astray by a false gospel that would exclude any suffering because God wants us healthy, wealthy, and wise. 
Well, we hear that, don't we? Away with any suffering. When we make God and Jesus a God who's there just to fulfill our every wish, we've created an idol. That's not the God of Scripture. You'd be very disappointed in Jesus if you expect him to meet your every uh, desire. He'll meet your needs. When he looked at his disciples and that they were being led astray, that they were accepting a false story about Jesus, he rebuked Peter. And it's that same strong word. He said to Judas, or rather to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's what he said to Satan himself in the temptation. Can you imagine that? Jesus wasn't being very nice. What he's saying is the message you're giving is straight from the mouth of Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Men. That's the title of our sermon today here. You're not focusing on the truth here. You're being led astray. Satan. Why would Jesus say that? Because the message that Peter was giving is the same message Jesus had heard in the wilderness from Satan. You can get the kingdom without going to the cross. You can have comfort, bread. You can have, you can have pleasures, position, power. I'll give it all to you and you won't have to go to the cross. There won't be any suffering involved. We don't need a savior for our sins. We just need a king to make things right for us. You do that, you bypass the cross. There's a coming kingdom, but there had to be a cross before there would be the one who comes from on high because it was after he had made provision for sins that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He rebuked him strongly. So the big question is, what are the things of God in contrast to the things of men? Well, I think that the things of men would be that our lives are supposed to be pretty easy, that Jesus is going to be a king, and that we can have power here on earth to turn things around and we can bypass a cross, the cross, for our Savior. But even in our own lives, that somehow we're not supposed to have it difficult down here and to suffer. Uh, that, you know, that, that is, it's not the truth. You know, yesterday was, I belonged to a hiking club. And yesterday, uh, what it's, it's made up of old people like me who used to be athletes that aren't anymore. And all we have left is we hike. We can, we can still walk. And there, uh, so it's mainly people in their 50s and 60s and so forth. There was a new lady there yesterday. And um, as soon as I heard her name, I, I thought, I bet that's so-and-so. It's uh, 25 years ago, there was a, a police officer that was gunned down in South Bend uh, viciously and left a widow with a six-month-old, or six-week-old baby, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. 
and uh, anyone here, it's an, it's an unusual name too, so you know it. And uh, so we, we were hiking, and, and uh, another guy and I, and she came up along there, and uh, she found out I was a minister, and she started asking me some questions, and wisely, the other guy went on. So we, we hiked 11 miles together yesterday, and um, she, uh, she said the big uh, thing that she had learned through it was she was raised Catholic, and she said that is that there's a lot of suffering and grief in this world. And yet this lady's gone on. She's built her life. And at the end, I said to her, Annette, you have stewarded your pain well. She said, I had three kids. I needed to. And um, she was really angry at God. She said, then I came to realize this. She teaches yoga. She said, I was, I, was, I was doing yoga, and I always had this thing going through my mind. Why me? Why me? Why me? And she said, I heard this voice say, why not you? And I said, who do you think that was? And that, she said, I think, it, I think it was the Spirit of God. I said, I, it sounds like what he'd say. And that we're not promised an easy ride down here. But we are promised that if we steward our pain well... God can turn all things together for good. Now, one day, I hope to be able to elaborate more upon that about the, uh, the gospel. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Are you stewarding your pain well, your illness, your difficulties, your tears, your tremors, your tumors? <laughs> Just buried a lady this week, died of brain cancer. She stewarded her pain well. Jesus did because it had a purpose. And we shouldn't waste it. You know, uh, at that same time, I told you that this era, the early 70s, is when I finally saw the light. There was a movie out called Jesus Christ Superstar. And there's a lot of bad stuff in it. But you know what? It does depict exactly where I think most people are at, and that is we want Jesus to be a king. Jesus is speaking, and he says, um, well, uh, they say, actually, uh, Judas says to him, Jesus, add a touch of hate of Rome, and you'll rise to greater power. And we will uh, win ourselves a home, and you'll get the power, you'll get the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Jesus responds back, Neither you, Simon, nor 50,000, nor the Romans, nor the Jews, nor Judas, nor the 12, nor the priests, nor the scribes, nor Jerusalem. No one understands what true power is, what true glory is. No one understands it all. No one understands it all. And even Peter at that time just didn't get it. And like I say, even after this, speaking plainly, on their way down to Jerusalem, he turns his face like flint, it says, to go to Jerusalem. It scared the disciples. Why is he so intense? He's walking fast. They couldn't keep up with him. He had set his face to go to Jerusalem because his hour had come. The purpose. And the resurrection, he says, and after three days rise from the dead is the, the divine re, uh, uh, reversal 
of man's verdict about Jesus. He reversed it by raising him from the dead. Well, as some of you know that uh, song by Larry Norman, some, uh, The Outlaw, you know, I forgot, or I didn't forget, I saved the best for last and the correct for last because there's one more uh, phrase to it. But some say he was the son of God, a man above all men, that he came to be a servant and, don't miss this, to set us free from sin. And that's who I believe he was, because that's who I believe. And I love the last line. And I think we should all get ready. It's about time for us to leave. <laughs> Where are we going? We're going to heaven. How are we going to get there? He's coming back as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, on a great white stone with the armies of heaven behind him. And he's coming back now as the Son of Man and as the Christ, not as a suffering Savior, but as a conquering King. Amen? Therefore... He has another song out called, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are, where you ought to, are you where you ought to be? Will he know you when he sees you? Or will he say, depart from me? Are you ready? I'm ready, and I hope you're ready. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want so much to just have relief down here. We want the kingdom and we want it now. Now we can set you up as king of kings and lord of lords in our hearts like uh, that little girl in Israel said. And one day you'll come as king of kings and lord of lords. Until that time, we need to live out you being the king of our own lives, advancing your kingdom by winning others into the kingdom. I pray that you speak to our hearts through this passage today, Lord, and we live it out. We pray it in Jesus name, and we thank you for your everlasting love. Amen.